Hi, I'm Jeff, and welcome to Q, the River City Church podcast designed to keep the conversation going between Sundays. I'll be interviewing other staff members during the week to ask them questions submitted by you and add some conversation to our online programs. So if you have any questions, please send them to info at rivercitychurch.org. We'll be recording the podcast on Tuesday mornings, so make sure you get your questions in before then for a timely response. This week, I'm talking with Daryl about what he's doing to get through COVID-19, why suffering exists, and what we can learn from it. Of course, we also talk about why we as Christians have hope. All right, we're on. So uh, let's just get right to it, Daryl. I'm going to ask you a couple questions, and they'll be uh, concerning both this past week's sermon and the sermon before to some extent. Um, the first one I think I have is just some some practical questions. Two Sundays ago, um, you said that this very unique time gives us an opportunity or empowers us to to simplify our lives. And I was just wondering, what are some of the ways in which you've simplified your life or your family's been able to simplify over the past couple of weeks? Yeah, that's a a great question. Thank you. Um, I'd say to a degree, I'm still learning how to simplify uh, because, uh, and and then part of the simplifying is is easy because wanting to honor uh, the government recommendations and expectations for social isolation and social distancing. But uh, much of it is intentional too, I would say. But really for me, um, I don't know if this is true for the rest of our listeners, but probably the turning point for me was just two weeks ago to the day. Two weeks ago was March 11. That's when uh, the World Health Organization uh, termed COVID-19 a global pandemic. So it's not that I've been preparing and simplifying for a month. It's really just been like two weeks. And the day after that was when our provincial schools, right, said that they would extend the March break by an additional two weeks plus. So um, some of the ways that I've been simplifying, definitely less driving around. And it's kind of ironic because I haven't seen gas prices like this since I was in university, I think. I know, and there's nowhere to go. I know, it's like... Like today, I saw 68.3, I believe it was, which I, I haven't seen it in the 60s for like 20 plus years. So uh, I, I don't even know if I've gotten a tank of gas in the last two weeks. So like not driving around at all. Um, I don't have any meetings that are face to face anymore. So mm-hmm. um, no no going to coffee shops for meetings. I, I, I tend to have a lot of meetings at coffee shops Um and even some at, at restaurants like breakfast meetings, uh, none of that has been happening. Uh, the gym was a big part of my life. I would work out at the Y four to five times a week, and um, that's that's no longer available. So I haven't been going to the gym. Um, I've been doing the less driving and then making up for the gym in two ways. Uh, I'm commuting to work via bicycle. Um, I'm still working out of my office at 15 Wellington, and I bike here, uh, maintaining the you know the six foot distance easily uh, as I do that. Mm-hmm. Um, and on the on the one hand, it's it's sad because I'm in this huge building that's completely empty, and it <laughs> hasn't really been that way since we took this you know have, have been in this building. Um, but on the other hand, I feel very grateful because uh, I don't know if this is the same for you, or I suspect it's the same for our listeners. But uh, I love my family, but 
when you're in the same house all the time, right? And my wife is working from home now. Uh, it's good to, to, to be able to go somewhere else without, you know, uh, violating what the government wants. So uh, I'm working at my office, but I bike here. Um, and uh, that's, that's another way I think of simplifying. Uh, there's no eating out or going out. My wife and I would uh, try to go on a date every uh, week to two weeks. We're not doing that at all anymore. Um, another thing, this is maybe um, uh, different than maybe what a lot of our listeners would do, but uh, I gave up alcohol. Um, so I'm not uh, drinking alcohol at all. Not that I was drinking so much, but um, I gave it up for a personal reason, but also two reasons related to uh, COVID-19. One is to save money. Uh, I still want to support this church, and uh, so something has got to give uh, because there's a lot of ambiguity and question around salaries and all that kind of stuff. Um, but it's just one less errand to run. Like, we don't have to go to the liquor store or to the beer store or whatever. Um, and then another way I would say um, I'm uh, simplifying my life is uh, that um, – We've been talking about this in our house, uh, and uh, I'm going to get my someone in my family that nobody has really stepped up to the plate yet, but to cut my hair, right? So <laughs> um, again, it'll save some money. Uh, I might look terrible, so maybe people will watch the video. But then uh, it's entertainment Sunday. value as well, right? Exactly. <laughs> so um, that's. I think I got one more week before I need a cut, but and it's going to be weird because I I use clippers and I don't know if we. I think Eric's got some clippers, so he might have to do that. But uh, and I was actually going to simplify by not shaving, um, and and I did discuss this with Barb as well. But um, every time I've ever tried to grow a beard, I get, like Epitago, I get infections and it just it's, it drives me to distraction so I'm not I'm going to continue shaving but I'm shaving once every couple of days instead of every day so there's a few ways there but I still feel like I'm uh, at the front of the curve because for me it's really just been two weeks right since that March 11 announcement that I've tried to start simplifying mm -hmm. yeah I know for myself it's been a lot of um, changes not necessarily by choice right like as you yeah. mentioned not going out as much, not because I'm choosing not to, but because fewer things are open, there's fewer places to go, there can't really visit anyone, so it's been a almost a forced uh, simplification of my life, which has been, I think, parts good and frustrating, right? Like, there's, mm -hmm. a, there's yeah. a new pace to life that's been forced on everyone that um, if you had have asked me a few weeks ago, I would have loved, I would have died for it just to be able to slow things down. But because it's happening at the same time as the inability to interact face-to-face -face with so many people I want to spend time with, it's it's bittersweet, right? Oh, I'm, I'm with you 100%. Can I just uh, dovetail into what you just shared? Sure. So um, uh, two observations. One is... Uh, like my wife is on the far extrovert side of the spectrum and I'm on the right on the line between introvert and extrovert. And um, my daughter is like my wife and my son is like me. And what we found is that this forced isolation is harder on those who are extremely extroverted. Like yeah, for me, it's enough to connect to people via telephone or Zoom. 
um, and I don't mind the alone time and, and so forth. Uh, but for Ali and Barb, and I would imagine that anyone who's listening who's, you know, way on the one pole as an extrovert, that's that's really hard, right? Like, it's it's yeah. just not the same. I, I was talking to a family in our church, and their daughter's having sleepovers with their friends, but they're doing it uh, by each, like, sleeping on the floor of their bedroom in their own homes uh, in, in a sleeping bag with... Uh, like a, a laptop and, and a video connect, right? Huh. Um, and that might work for someone like me, uh, but, but for an extreme extrovert, that's still not the same as being in the room with the person, right? And you know what? I'd um, say that I'm slightly towards the, uh, not far from center, but slightly towards the introverted side of the spectrum, and it's getting yeah. to be a bit much for me even. Like, I'd like to get out and see some people face-to-face. Yeah. And I just want one more comment on that. That You said, the, I think you used the phrase, this new, for, uh, this new pace that's been forced on us and how you would have you know, died or killed for this a couple of weeks ago. I don't know what phrase you used. Yeah. But um, yeah, I think, you know, like we live ordinarily in such a frenetic pace society. You know, busyness is a, a constant struggle for people. And, uh, and, and now that busyness can largely be gone for most of us, right? Um, but the, the challenge, I think, is uh, we have to disconnect from the 24-hour news feed because uh, if, if, you're, if you're replacing what was busy with work and other commitments before, errands, taking kids to sports or whatever, if you're replacing that with just you know tapping into the 24-hour news feed, I think the stress of that becomes even greater than the stress that you were living with with the busyness before totally yeah i think i've been i've been trying to replace it with uh obviously time with my son because there's no daycare right now and uh my wife's working from home and uh part of that is usually going for hikes somewhere where as you said you can keep your appropriate distance from people who you might encounter but still getting outside of the house so that's been big for me um Mm. and then i just wanted to yeah move on to something else from the sermon two Sundays ago where you said probably in slightly different words, but we're empowered to be a good neighbor. And uh, you had, you had mentioned some examples like, you know, not getting frustrated at people who are cutting in line or taking the last roll of toilet paper, uh, which would have sounded really funny four weeks ago if that was something that made someone mad, but now it's just too real. Um, What are, what are some other ways um, that we can be, good neighbors to the people around us as you see it. Yeah, that's, oh. so um, there, there's a, I have a few thoughts on that. Um, one of them is that uh, I was just on the phone with, with uh, one of my mentors uh, from the Christian Reformed denomination, and uh, they've actually established a $5,000 grant for churches that get creative during COVID-19. Um, in blessing neighbors, obviously in a way that honors the social distancing, but um, they've had a number of churches already uh, submit things, and um, they're amazed at the creativity that's, that's been evidenced there. So this is a big one that like, I'm throwing out to our listeners and saying, I'd like us to apply for one of these grants, but we need a, we need a really good mm-hmm. idea for this. So if, if people have an idea, um, I'm all ears. I definitely think there are things we can do. What I'm doing on a personal level, I would say, is very small, but I, I think it makes a difference. So let me give you a couple of things. Um, 
through walking in our neighborhood, I've noticed, and again, it must be because of uh, kids not being able to be in, in uh, childcare and so forth, or daycare, many, many houses, and I would say I could, within a kilometer of my house, I could show you uh, seven to ten houses that have the living room window plastered with uh, children's artwork, like um, crayon drawings and, and coloring book pictures. And the neighbor right across the street from my house has this, and uh, uh, there's a poster above all the artwork that says neighborhood window artwork. And so uh, today, as I was loading up my bike with the panniers to get ready to go to work, um, I thought to myself, you know what? I've got to find a creative way to bless the kids in that house. So I was thinking I would uh, I have to discuss this with Barb and see what's acceptable or not, but... Um, prepare or create like a certificate on our on our computer at home saying you know you get the award for the nicest neighborhood art and uh, thank you for brightening our day and then just have our names on it uh, you know the beermans from 59 rosebridge crescent and then maybe have a little gift certificate in there for whatever i don't know right like a five dollar gift certificate um, just some essential service that will actually be open yeah so I, that was one thing um and uh, the other thing is, I think there's a good way to bless our neighbors on social media. Um, there's, uh, again, I think we have to limit the amount of time. We, I have to limit the amount of time that I spend on social media because I, I can get stressed out if I spend too much time on it. But uh, there are a lot of anxious people out there. So just giving an encouraging word. Um, someone had put on there, I'm tired of all the news. Can someone send me a nice picture? that they took uh, within the last 48 hours. So I sent a picture of the, of the Grand River um, from a walk that I'd had during lunch hour yesterday. Uh, I think that's the way to bless our neighbors. Um, on my commute, what I love about commuting to work on bike is that when you pass other people, and there are more people out there because a lot of people are walking now, right? Um, I say hi all the time. And yeah, some people, they're, I think, maybe anxious and they don't want to talk. Um, or say anything, so they'll, they'll maybe nod. Some people give no uh, expression, but the vast majority they enthusiastically respond with a with a with a you know hello, hope you're having a great day or something like that. So I I think just keeping that Canadian politeness going with our neighbors is a small way to uh, bless our neighbors at this time to you know to show them that yeah we're gonna we're gonna respect the six feet but we're still neighbors and I care about you and I hope you have a good day in spite of what we're going through um, but yeah that that question about how to bless our neighbors that needs uh, some brains and some creativity from from more people than just me and I'm looking for it and, and if you guys have ideas uh, I encourage you to email a member of our staff or email me directly. And, and uh, if we get an idea that we think is like uh, super, then we'll apply for one of these grants and then and then we'll see what we can do. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I like I like the big ideas that you can apply to grants for. But I also love what you're saying just about smiling to people like I've noticed that um, when I've been in grocery stores over the past couple of weeks where Often there are people who are walking around with this real nervous expression on their face. And, mm -hmm. you know, if if you can just uh, smile at people, often that'll bring a smile to theirs. And if you do it from six feet away, you know. Um, yeah. But that's been something that I've noticed as well. And I think I remember um, it might have been half a year ago or more, but you had a 
sermon where you were talking about uh, a plague that hit Caesarea in the, um, I think, 4th century, and the the spread of Christianity just blossomed afterwards because um, when people were otherwise being left for dead, Christians were serving them and and just meeting them with such kindness, such sacrificial kindness. So I think about a time like this, which thankfully isn't that dire at this point, but um, how can we as Christians really um, make our witness through kindness and through caring for others such that people take notice? So that's uh, that's good to hear, and I'm certainly interested as well in what other people might come up with for that sort of grant. I would say, too, like another small way, I love the smile one, too, but um, prayer, right? Like um, at our dinner table, we're, we're praying for people um, in, in places that we didn't typically pray for before, like mm-hmm. the trucking industry, right? Mm-hmm. People uh, providing goods and services, uh, people that can do emergency repairs on houses when things break down at a time like this. Mm-hmm. Um, I've been sending... Uh, Facebook messages uh, to people that I know who are nurses and work in the in the medical profession, um, who are either already in the midst of uh, COVID-19 or who are preparing for what they expect will be coming. Um, yeah, just just to encourage them. So I think I think those are, are things we can do as well. For sure. All right. And then uh, moving on to, um, I think, a more recent sermon, the one from last Sunday. Um, or no, this was this was still the one before. You had talked about the importance of spending time in God's Word daily, um, not necessarily just reading the Bible, but sort of sitting in God's Word um, through a multitude of ways or spiritual practices. What have you been doing now that your life has sort of been slowed down, and what would you recommend to people um, in our church who have more free time on their hands? Yeah, I actually have had people from our congregation uh, either uh, via email, social media, or um, phone calls ask me this question. <laughs> They're like, I need something to read, right? No kidding. And then I'll ask, I'll ask them, how are you feeling, right? So I think part of my answer to that question will depend on where people are at. Mm. Um, just uh, across the board, I would say at this time of year in particular, like we're just two weeks out from Easter, I don't think we can go wrong uh, by reading the Gospels. So Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John, mm-hmm. uh, right? Because um, the, the Gospels help us focus on Jesus who came into this world, a world that was in crisis and into a, uh, a country, a cultural context where there was massive crisis, right? The Romans were in charge. Uh, the Israelites felt that um, nationally they were they were uh, forced to compromise and religiously they were uh, not wanting to compromise but struggling with what that looked like. So the Gospels would be definitely something to, to read and focus on and just seeing how Jesus interacted with, with people uh, that were broken and in difficult situations, which is what so much of his story focuses on, right? Mm-hmm. Um, the One of the people that called me, asked me about, like, I need some wisdom from, from the Bible. So I encouraged them to go to Proverbs. Uh, Proverbs is just these pithy little one or two sentence statements. And uh, uh, there's 31 chapters, I believe, uh, basically the same number of chapters in Proverbs as there are days in this month. 
So you, you could read a chapter a day, right? And you could you could just cycle through it for a, a couple of, or three months, and you'll still get something out of it because there's so much there. Um, so Proverbs. Um, I think both uh, Psalms, so Psalms is something that people turn to a lot uh, at the heavy moments in life. Um, so probably most of my funeral services are either on Psalm 23, uh, which is uh, the Lord is my shepherd, mm-hmm. or I think Psalm 120, Psalm 121, I lift my eyes to the mountains, where does my help come from? Probably those two Psalms account for like 75% of the of the funeral messages that I've had to give. So, uh, and, and many of the Psalms were written by David when he was fleeing or when he was in a time of dire stress and anxiety, which I think people can relate to. And they help us to articulate and to voice like our feelings to God that maybe maybe in years gone by and maybe some of our listeners still will have this we almost feel like we're not allowed to express anger to God or mm. or uh, intense disappointment or frustration or fear um, or sorrow we can do all of those things and I guess talking about sorrow I would say like lamentations right I mean some some people um, I was talking to one of the men in my men's group and uh, uh, we were just saying, Hey, is everybody still working and so forth? And this individual said, actually I'm busier than ever just because of the line of work that I'm in. My product and services are needed more than before. We're considered an essential service. So um, that's one end of the spectrum. There's the other end of the spectrum of people who uh, want to work, but they're either uh, on plant shutdown or uh, they're in a non-essential, you know, something the government has deemed non-essential for right now. So they're not able to work. Well, that can be heart-wrenching, especially if, if you love what you do or you take pride in what you do. Um, or as um, a lot of us men can tend to do, we, we tie up our identity in what we do sometimes. Mm-hmm. So I think like Lamentations would be a good book for that. Like, <laughs> right, God's people were disappointed in life. Life was not good. Um, and and Jeremiah writes about that. So Lamentations would be one. I think uh, before think we of, leave the Psalms as well, though, yeah. I think what's great about the Psalms is um, there's certainly sorrow in the Psalms. But for so many people who are missing our weekly worship gatherings and the just the celebration that happens there and, and that celebratory worship, I think the Psalms mm. can provide that as well. I was reading last night uh, Psalm 84, which will sound familiar because... It's been pulled from for songs, but, you know, how lovely is your dwelling place, O Lord of hosts, my soul longs, yes, faints for the courts of the Lord, my heart and flesh sing for joy to the living God. Um, I think if you find psalms like that and just read them aloud, like it's, there's this feeling of worship much much like um, singing some celebratory songs together as a group at church. So I think the psalms is really multifaceted in the ways you can express your emotions to God through them. Oh, that's awesome. No, I, I love it. I agree completely. Now, I did cut you off. Where were you going to go after Lamentations? Well, I was, I was thinking there, there's there's got to be more, but I still think that like it really helps me and, and probably it would help um, like staff members or board members of our church. Like if, if somebody was saying, here's where I'm at, can you direct me to something in scripture? We've actually got this, this person in our church who does that with me about once a week. <laughs> so um, I would just encourage more of you to do that. Just fire off an email 
or give pick up the phone and uh, and and then I can give like a, a specific recommendation and people like Juliet could do that. Jeff, you could do that. I'm, I'm sure. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, you you mentioned Psalm 84. I, I would also say like um, Psalms that help me to see that God is still like large and in charge, mm-hmm. right? So about his his power in creation, I think are, are really really good as well. Um, I was thinking of like Psalm 19. But yeah, there there are many again like that. So probably sounds like we're spending a lot of time in the Psalms. So I guess if <laughs> listeners are are perceptive, they'll be like, we better start reading the Psalms again, right? Yes. Yeah. No, they are very very good at conveying the the spectrum of human emotion as it's directed to God. So it's obviously a really good really good book of the Bible to spend time in, and that's probably why so many different church traditions have a big focus on that on that particular book in the Bible. Um, if we can mm-hmm. if we can change gears to probably what would be my final question for you to for you to answer is just listening to last Sunday's sermon. Um, and it was so good about about the way in which God is in control of everything that's happening and and unlike the forces of nature which can be so unpredictable, um, God loves us, so even though he has this awe-inspiring and to the disciples a terrifying amount of power, um, he loves it and seeks to use it for our good, sometimes in ways that we can detect in the small picture, but sometimes in the big picture that's a bit beyond us. Something I can I can imagine a seeker asking, or even a mature Christian, is um, God being all-powerful as he is, why didn't he just create a universe in which suffering wasn't required at all? That's one of the classic questions, right? And I think that that is um, one of the questions that a lot of people will be asking if they haven't been asking it already. And uh, I remember uh, one of my uh, professors, instructors, saying that that's one of the five biggest but most important questions to answer um, from a faith perspective. Mm-hmm. Is, uh yeah, if, if there's an all-powerful God, and uh, if that all-powerful God is loving, then why does he or she allow bad things to happen? Because either uh, then God is not all-powerful because he wouldn't permit those things to happen, or not loving because he does permit those things to happen, right? Um, so it's a, it's a fair question. It's an important question. And I don't know that there's an easy answer to it. In fact, if there was, we'd all know gonna, it, right? Well, and, and I think you might be thinking this is a cop-out, and uh, this is a scary moment for me because I'm, I'm going to say, <laughs> now, now that I'm getting older, <laughs> um, I, I kind of am okay with saying that there's, that there's some mystery here, and I, I don't think that we can really have a satisfactory answer to that or find or feel a satisfactory answer to that question unless and until the Holy Spirit does a work in our heart, right? So I think, mm-hmm. I, I think that the spirit's gotta like almost uh, flip a switch inside our hearts for us to be able to um, get uh, at, at a peace level where, where we're able to live with it and trust God's purposes. Um, that that has to happen from the Holy Spirit working in us first. Uh, one of the classic Christian answers, and it's it's the one that I I would hold to with regard to that question about, yeah, like why, why did God even create a world where suffering could be a possibility? 
I think the classic Christian answer is that um, a necessary condition of God creating uh, a world with freedom, right? right? Uh, mm. The Bible teaches that, that humans are distinct from other animals, from other creatures, because uh, we're made in God's image. Um, so uh, with regard to having character and attribute traits like God. Um, so a necessary condition of us having freedom Right. And not being like any other animal, like operating based on instinct or based on just mere obedience, but having freedom to obey God or disobey is to have freedom. Uh, the same freedom that enables individual humans like me and you to obey God or disobey God. And that I find uh, a helpful answer, because if we think about it, if we if we take out a pen and paper or sit down behind a keyboard and we type out like where where do we see the suffering in this world i think when it comes right down to it um most of us most of the suffering that we experience in our lives is probably the result of our own decisions right things that we've done or have not done uh that have made our life more complicated or, or difficult now there's grace right but um, we cause ourselves a good amount of, of suffering, right? Think about, just think of the one area alone, the area of finances. Forget ethics or, or some of those other things, but think about mm-hmm. finances. Some of our financial decisions, um, they land us in a heap of, of suffering and trouble. Um, so that's, that's on a personal level. And then a second category of our suffering, think about it at, at a humanity's level. So collectively, right? You think of governments. I, I don't know if you've noticed this, Jeff, but and maybe it's just in my brain, but uh, we live in Hessler, and on the north end of Hessler is one of the major flight uh, highways into Pearson Airport. Um, it's just mm. on the north side of Hesper, and when we sit on our back deck, ordinarily, we can see, like, planes going crisscrossing back and forth on this, like, laneway into Pearson. Probably, I would say, during the daytime, it would be two a minute, easily two a minute. And right now, really? yeah, right now I'm seeing like one every uh, four minutes, three, four minutes. Like it's it's way less. The air looks cleaner, and you can actually. Last night I went out on my deck for a little while, and uh, you could see the the the, tr- the tail of the planes, and a, a couple had crisscrossed. So there was a big X in the sky over my house. And ordinarily, I don't think that would happen very much, especially at nighttime, because there's just so much air traffic that there's just this yeah. constant haze. But, um, you know, we, we have a lot of pollution, uh, even with COVID-19, right? We know that certain age demographics are uh, in, in, at, at higher risk, but there's also um, people with immunocompromised, people with diabetes, um, um, and, and people who have, have like lung uh, and breathing challenges, Um a lot of the, the breathing issues that we have are because of like pollution and and things that that we humans have allowed to be put into the air and and, and others. So there's suffering at a personal level that we ourselves are culpable or responsible for. Then there's suffering that we humans are responsible for that are decisions not made by us individually, but by governments or by um, uh, United Nations or whatever. Um, and then, yeah, the, then um, the Bible does teach, and this is a tough teaching uh, for a seeker to accept, but it's, it's the Bible's answer is that human sin has affected all creation. Part of, part mm-hmm. of God's punishment to Adam and Eve for human sin 
especially to Adam, was uh, that the, the land would, would, would be affected because of uh, this disobedience of, of humanity. And in Romans, Paul talks about the creation is groaning. So we're longing for an end to natural disasters. We're longing for a world that's, that's not going to have uh, pandemics from viruses like this. Um, but this is our, our reality right now, and we can point at God, uh, but the Bible does uh, also say that, I mean, in a sense we can, because he permits it to happen. He has the power to stop it. He does allow it. We don't always understand why, but it is in part a condition of, of giving humans freedom uh, at the very existential level. So it's like, I don't know, it's like peeling an onion, right? So if you look at the outward layer of the onion, it, it makes absolutely no sense. But if you peel away the layers and you think about um, the suffering that's the result of, of humanity, let's, let's make that the outside layer. And then let's get to another layer, the suffering that, that I experience in my life as the result of my own choices uh, or behaviors. And then we go a level beyond that. And that's that third level is maybe the, the one that takes a bigger faith leap, which is somehow, according to the Bible, Human sin has affected the creation that we're in, and that helps to understand a little bit of what's happening with something like uh, uh, COVID-19, um, earthquakes, tsunamis, all those kinds of things. Um, but I would say as much as explaining that might be helpful, the bottom line is that um, I think there's two things we have to consider as part of the Christian answer along with where, why does God allow this? One is that um, the Christian faith is the one faith where uh, God loved us enough that he entered into a world of suffering by way of his son, Jesus Christ. So uh, he, he lived in this broken world with us and he allowed himself, Isaiah says, to be broken. Isaiah 53, he was broken for us um, as a payment for our sins. And not only does that give us uh, forgiveness of sins if we love him and trust him and acknowledge forgiveness in his name, but it does prepare the way, the inevitable day when he will return and there will be no more super viruses like this and uh, creation itself will be healed. And I don't understand how that ultimately happens, but I believe that it will happen. Um, so that's the one thing is that the, the Christian answer includes a God who entered our suffering, didn't just give us uh, cerebral answers in some holy book from, from a distance or whatever. Um, uh, and, and then the second thing is that, that God longs for that day of Jesus' return just as much as we do. Mm. Um, and why does, it, why does God delay? Well, according to Peter, it's because he wants more and more people to be saved. He wants people to come to him through a, a rela personal relationship with his son, Jesus Christ. So this is, this is the day of opportunity. This is the time for, for people to, to hopefully uh, draw close to this God who loves us enough to uh, give us freedom, to, to uh, enable us to follow him or not to follow him, then who loves us enough to come into this world via his son, Jesus Christ, and to suffer at our hands, so, and, then, and then who loves us enough uh, through his power to conquer sin and one day to return and conquer all the things that, that bring tears to, to a human's uh, countenance and face, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think, and I think in one way or another, you've mentioned the three things that uh, give me comfort in this regard. 
the first being the choice between the two trees at the beginning of time, right? The, the tree of life and the tree of good and evil or good and bad. Um, and in having done that, it actually demonstrates that God didn't create the world this way. Um, but it was an option and we chose that option. God didn't choose that for us. Right. So God very much had a world ready for us, which would have had no suffering. We went the bad route, but the second thing that gives me comfort is, as you've said, Jesus entering into history to suffer and change the course of history. And I think uh, Tim Keller writes in The Reason for God that um, you can say you can say that at times God will let us suffer because he does, but you can never say he's apathetic, hmm. right? He cares, and, and, and the life and death and resurrection of Jesus for us demonstrates that and then the third and final thing is our future hope um where in revelations it says there will be there will be no more crying because death is gone right Uh, those three things give me comfort now and as we've talked about people can still ask well why did god leave the option of the tree of good and evil right and i think you know as much as you can keep asking why questions and then eventually as you said um the holy spirit needs to do a work in someone but those are the things that give me comfort for sure. The uh, you were as I was listening to you, there were two things that just popped to mind, and I remember one of them. Hopefully, the other one will come back to me quickly too. Um, but the one that I remember is that um, there are also benefits. I mean, this, this is this is a hard t- truth to uh, ruminate on at a time like this, and maybe people don't want to ruminate on it t- too long. But there are benefits to um, to suffering. Um, my family in 2014-15 endured incredible suffering uh, over a, a 18-month period of time. Uh, my mom passed from diagnosis uh, to, can- to cancer. Uh, mm-hmm. My brother had part of a lung removed because an esophagus removed because of cancer, and my sister-in-law got diagnosed with a tumor. And so, as a result of that, mm-hmm. um, I felt motivated to do something per- on a personal level. Uh, to help alleviate suffering of people with cancer. And so I, mm. I, that's, that's when I, during a sabbatical, I biked across Canada and I fundraised uh, $25,000 to fight children's can- childhood cancer. I mm. never would have raised 20, I mean, that's a huge amount of money on a personal mm-hmm. level to raise. And then biking across Canada, many people think that's probably stupid, um, but I did it and it's, be- it's because I suffered and, and I shed tears in the training process, the fundraising process, and even biking across Canada because most of the other cyclists have been touched at a very personal level by this dreaded disease. Um, so my empathy for people with cancer is greater because I, to a, to a degree, have suffered as being part of a family that's been touched by this. And um, the one comment I keep hearing from a lot of people uh, is the whole thing about resilience, right? Like mm. human beings are a pretty resilient species and uh, there are important lessons to learn at this time. Um, my, my, my struggle in saying that though is this, that my, my biggest concern is I think, I think the vast majority of people are going to make it through this um, and be stronger for it ultimately. But my, my biggest concern is for those who right now are already our society's most vulnerable, either health-wise or economic-wise, and I'm concerned that it's going to take them far longer to come through this than, than it is for the, the average person, and it, 
it weighs on my heart that the gap between the rich and the poor is already as wide as it is. And with something like this, I just feel like it's potentially or likely going to be even greater. Um, so that's, that's a, mm-hmm. all, all that to say that there can be benefits of suffering. And I guess the other thing is you talk about the future hope, right? Um, I got an mm-hmm. email from a mentor of mine who's 81 years old, I believe. And, uh, and he was just encouraging me uh, as a pastor to not shy away from addressing COVID-19 um, and, 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 yeah, give, give people encouragement, give them hope, uh, preach uh, Jesus Christ. And, and he said, because whether, whether we live a full length of life, whether we live to be 90 or 100 years old, or whether we live to be 50 years old, in the grand scheme of things, uh, it isn't a huge difference when you look at the context of eternity, and he said, I myself am 81. I'm in that age demographic that's most heavily impacted by COVID-19, and I may lose my life uh, because of this. And I'm fully, I don't want that to happen, but I'm fully prepared. And I think that would be my question for our listeners is, is to say, would you be able to say that right now? Are you fully prepared? I don't want to die. I want, uh, I want to live a long, long time. I want a, vi- mm-hmm. a vaccine to be developed and so <laughs> forth. But some, sometime it's going to run out for all of us. Uh, uh, there's this tree in my neighborhood. It's a, it's a huge oak tree. And every time I walk to this, this, this park off of Winston, I'll leave the, the sidewalk and I'll walk into the park and I'll, I won't play on the equipment. Not right now. But I will put my hand on the bark of this tree, and I'm like, this tree, this huge tree that it would take probably two to three men to put their arms around it, it's been around for probably 300 years, two to 300 years before I was born, and it'll probably be around two to 300 years after I'm gone. Right? And that just gives me a, a sense of my how temporal and time-bound my life as a human being is. Mm-hmm. And then I have the hope in Jesus Christ of life everlasting with God. Uh, and so on the one sense, that tree has got a huge advantage over me. If you want to count that the winner is the one that lives the most days. But on the other sense, uh, because of the hope that I have in Christ, because of his actual victory over death and sin, um, I have the promise of life everlasting with him. So, uh, yeah, I have a lot to look forward to. That's it for this week's episode. Next week, we'll be chatting with Daryl again about this Sunday's sermon. So make sure to send in some questions to info at rivercitychurch.org. I hope you were blessed through listening to this conversation and that you have a great week. Talk to you soon.